Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about how the size of the return uh, is less important than the length of the return. Uh, So obviously investing well is important. However, investing well over long periods of time is the most important thing. Very simple concept, but which I will explain and elaborate on, of course, uh, but something that is fundamental, I think, to reminding ourselves of, particularly during times of, I guess, higher levels of uncertainty. When there's higher levels of uncertainty, the future looks a little bit cloudy. You know, people don't know which direction uh, the economy will go and so forth. And obviously, I'm referring to uh, COVID here and the uncertainty created by COVID. Uh, and so in times of very high uncertainty, what we must do is return to the fundamentals because the fundamentals rarely change or in fact don't change. And the fundamentals are typically underpinned by simple math and math does not lie to you. Uh, so look, everyone would agree, for example, making a, a one-time 50% return on an investment is a wonderful outcome. I invest in a stock for $10 and I sell it at 15 You know, happy days, that's a good outcome. But making a much smaller return over a longer period of time is far more effective. So, for example, if I generate a 7% return for 40 years, on average over a 40-year period, uh, that's going to multiply my initial investment by 15 times. Uh, so rather than the one-off investment uh, increases my investment by 50%, uh, 15 times. Uh, so that's really uh, the key component. And in the show notes and obviously the blog on the website, I have a link to a chart that Vanguard um, updates every year. And it's an index chart that looks at, you know, if you invested $10,000 in uh, 1990, what would it be worth today? And in that chart, uh, $10,000 invested in 1990, if you had to put that in the Australian share market, you'd have $130,000, so 13 times the investment. And if you put it into US shares, you'd have nearly 19 times the investment at $190,000. Pretty considerable wealth off a a relatively small investment of $10,000. And I guess the point I'm trying to make in this podcast and I will make throughout this podcast is something to to sort of remind you of is that why do most people, ask yourself, why do most people fail to generate such substantial returns over any period of time, say a 30-year period of time? And the reason is that they are always uh, influenced by short-term noise and don't stick to the long game. Don't play that long game. Don't take that long road to building wealth. And what you really need to do is have the discipline to stick to that long-term approach and not get distracted by things like tech bubbles and that's in the uh, early 2000s or the GFC or coronavirus. All these things seem like at the time they're going to change the world forever, but they rarely do. And sticking to that long well-trodden path of investing in quality assets uh, is an important thing to do. Let me give you another example. Uh, The ASX index is trading at just under 6,000 points at the moment. That's the ASX 200, uh, plus or minus, obviously, um, 
depending on when you're listening to this podcast. Uh, but if it grows at 2%, what do you think the index's value will be in 50 years' time? Uh, so 6000 today, if it grows at 2%, it'll be uh, 16100 That's what the index will be. Uh, whereas if it grows by 4%, it'll be 42500 Uh But if it grows at 8%, it will be 280000 right? 6000 today. Now, 8%, 8% still less than the 8.9% growth it's, it's provided over the last 30 years. So it's really, it's a, it's a very simple example and I get that it's not overly relevant or applicable to most people because, you know, they don't necessarily want to invest today and have to wait 50 years to enjoy the proceeds. But the point is, it's a beautiful example that illustrates the benefits of playing the long game and being focused on that. Now, I'm usually very sceptical when people tell me things have changed forever. Like I said previously, you know, the world is full of forecasts uh, and forecasts, particularly negative ones, uh, sell clicks, sell newspapers, uh, uh, attract attention uh, and attention uh, creates a lot of money for media. Um, so it makes sense that, that you, the, the more extreme your forecast, the more attention you're going to attract. And at the moment, for example, let me use work for home because at the moment um, a lot of uh, you know the workforce is being forced into this work from home situation because of uh, COVID. Uh, and a lot of forecasters are telling us that, you know, companies are going to desert commercial office, office space en masse uh, and that the increased work from home will permanently increase demand for regional property and, as a result, reduce the demand for property that are cl- that's closer to the CBD. And as Warren Buffett says, forecasters will fill your ears but never your pockets uh, and I think you should maintain a very healthy level of scepticism when anyone tells you things have changed permanently overnight because they very, very rarely do. So let me just focus on this work from home uh, topic because I think it's a really good example. So it's my view that working from home will have an impact on demand for commercial office space and to a much lesser extent, demand for residential property in rural locations, or regional locations, I should say. Um, But the size of the impact has been grossly overstated. Uh, So, you look, the the forced increase in work from home has certainly changed its acceptance. And I think that's probably the biggest outcome, rather than necessarily changed its adoption. Uh, So I suspect in the past that most people... Uh, particularly people that weren't working from home, viewed the people that did work from home as kind of an opportunity to hide or to reduce their workload or to avoid any tasks, have a bit of a slow day, those sorts of things. However, now everyone has been forced into, or most of us have been forced into this work from home situation. Most of us now know that actually you work just as hard, uh, if not harder, because there's fewer distractions. And another thing also is that a few CEOs have told me that they used to feel obligated to go into the office every day, to be kind of seen, to be there, to be available and so forth. But that expectation uh, of themselves and of their team members 
has now changed. So I think that's the biggest outcome from this COVID situation and in the enforced work from home is that it's going to increase its acceptance and people will be more willing uh, to utilise that flexibility um, on a, on a part-time basis uh, when it sort of suits their needs. And just because you can permanently work from home for six months doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it for six years. And I think the reality is that um, uh, few industries, employers and employees uh, are, is suited to permanent work from home because the big element of sort of uh, that, that employers want to create and that employees want to participate in is collaboration, human um, contact uh, and conversations and uh, relationships and those sorts of things. And it's not impossible to do them remotely or, or maintain them remotely, uh, but not over really long periods of time, I think I'm less likely. So I think that's the outcome is that people will now probably more mix their working arrangements, you know, maybe a few days at home and the rest of the time in the office. Uh, but, you know, the office is certainly not dead uh, and neither is working from home. So so how do you apply then the ideals of playing that long game, uh, shooting for long-term returns uh, to property shares and cash flow? And that's what I wanted to do is, is take this concept and now apply it to uh, obviously investing um, in, in real terms. Uh, so if we talk about property first, uh, how do you um, persistently achieve a capital growth rate of, say, 5% above inflation? And I think that's probably a, a reasonable uh, level of return to, to target. And obviously, uh, if inflation's lower, then you know, you're only adding 1% to that 5%, so you're looking for 6% capital growth. Historically, uh, the inflation rate in Australia has been closer to 2.5%. Uh, which means a headline growth rate of 7.5%, including inflation. I think that would be, uh, you know, I think that'd be kind of the floor rate that you would expect over long periods of time if you're investing in investment-grade property. Uh, and to achieve that, really what you need to do is invest in a location that has very robust fundamentals. And these fundamentals will ensure that demand consistently exceeds supply over long periods of time. Let me underline that over long periods of time. And that translates naturally to uh, capital growth, to price growth. Um, the, the thing to note is really the concentration, which I've spoken about before, but the concentration of Australia's population and our population growth. You know, our population growth is uh, two and a half to three times faster than the UK and the US, for example. Uh, and that means that puts pressure on on housing. We need to build houses for all these people. And sure, you can argue, hey, Stuart, COVID, you know, there's no uh, overseas migration anymore. Uh, but it'll come back online and uh, probably uh, enjoy stronger demand than it ever has uh, because Australia really has done an incredibly great job at managing the economy and managing the, the virus as well. Um, the other thing we need to be really cognizant of is that in developed economies around the world, the income and wealth inequality is getting worse. So that is the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And it's really something that's a, a, a trend that's been um, present really since the 1970s or even arguably before. Um, and uh, we can argue, you know, whether it's fair and, and certainly I would say that it's, uh, it's, it's unfair um, that people don't have equal opportunities uh, in terms of uh, wealth and, 
and living sands and those sorts of things. And of course, it's my view that government should uh, implement bipartisan policies to improve this inequality. Um, however, I re- in reality, I don't see it happening. Uh, I don't. If there are some policies, I don't think they're going to be that effectual. Uh, and capitalism uh, seems to be uh, pretty much an unstoppable force. If you look at um, the ABS figures, uh, the wealthiest 20% of Australians own 63% of private wealth, whereas the uh, lowest 20% own a mere 1% of private wealth. So this concentration of wealth and then together with this um, uh, long-term trend of much higher population growth means that there is a, a significant cohort of people that are willing and able to pay more for property in blue chip locations. And so um, sometimes uh, economists and um, investors kind of extrapolate, well, if Melbourne keeps growing at this rate, um, uh, you know, property can't, mathematically, it can't keep growing at, say, 8% per annum uh, median house price across the board, and it can't. It absolutely cannot mathematically. But I guess the 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 error there in in extrapolating those figures is to just looking at medium house price. What you really want to be asking yourself is: Can investment grade property continue to grow at that rate? And because of stronger population growth and greater concentration of wealth in uh, fewer people um, in terms of uh, population. Uh, you know, there's always going to be a really strong cohort, at least for the next number of decades, uh, of people willing to pay more to get into Hawthorne in Melbourne, for example, because of all the amenities, school zones, uh, those sorts of things. Uh, And that's a a really considerable, I guess, wave of demand uh, that is is certainly observable. And unless you think... uh, uh, capitalism is, uh, is, is dead, is never going to repeat itself, you know, is going to change materially, uh, then uh, just the, the simple laws of supply and demand uh, will dictate that if you really want that persistently long level of capital growth, then really what you should be doing with property is finding those areas that are in massively high demand uh, and but very, very finite supply uh, and invest in those. And what I tried to do is actually find out, for example, some, put some numbers around it, how many properties are in these investment-grade locations compared to the overall population. Uh, and I couldn't find the numbers, but I would hesitate to uh, guess that we're talking about less than 5% of property, uh, and we're talking about the top 20% of the population that are going to have the capacity base be able to pay more for that property and therein lies the imbalance of supply and demand and that's why I think yes at a median price level something has to give you know um, properties out you know 30 k's from the city shouldn't be selling at a million dollars plus that's that's where my unease with the property market uh, rests Um, but if we're paying three million dollars for a family home in uh, Hawthorne uh, or two and a half uh, you know that, that that seems like good value if we take that long-term approach. Uh, so what? how do we apply this long-game theory then to uh, investing in the share market? 
And let me refer to uh, an often uh, cited bit of darling or stellar stock in the Australian stock market, Afterpay. Uh, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with it, Google it. I mean, there's been a lot written about it. Afterpay share price in March was about nine dollars. A few weeks ago, it got up to ninety dollars. So kind of a tenfold return. Uh, it's back to low seventies now. Uh, obviously, being a little bit more volatility this week. Um, uh, so, you know, if you invested in Afterpay in March, you've made a, a pretty sizable return, somewhere between 7 and 10 times your return, uh, depending on if or when you sold. Uh, however, there's a few problems with Afterpay. Uh, firstly, uh, if you invest in Afterpay, your success of doing so is uh, whether you get the decision right when to sell. Uh, so, you know, if you hold on too long, you could have no returns, uh, whereas you sell arguably early, you could pick up lots of the returns. Um, and so, you know, as, as Kenny Rogers said, you've got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Uh, that's very much the centre of that strategy if you're going to invest in stocks like Afterpay. And the reason is because it's never going to provide long-term returns. You know, it doesn't make any money. The more it grows, the more capital it needs because it's lending money to people to, to want to purchase things that they don't really need. It's burning through cash for that reason. It will almost certainly attract more government re- regulation um, and there's more and more competition. And without a doubt, buying at this price, 70 or $90, you are buying a massively overinflated stock. So it's never going to be a long-term play. But let's say you get it right, what do you do next? And that's the problem. You've got to consistently pick the next afterpay uh, and also get your timing right in when to invest and divest of that stock. Uh, alternatively, you could adopt an investment methodology that avoids the risk of picking the wrong stocks, the wrong sectors, and the wrong investment managers. And I've spoken ad nauseum about the benefits of uh, a low-risk investment methodology such as rules-based, index-based approaches. Uh, and obviously, there's a lot more podcasts and I've written books and, and so forth on that uh, factor. And then if you refer, refer back to that Vanguard chart, obviously Vanguard Index Fund Provider, uh, I think it illustrates the benefit of taking that um, that disciplined broad-based, very diversified, low-cost approach, uh, but long-term approach to investing in in shares. And let's apply it then to finally to cash flow. Uh, So the difference between, say, saving $100,000 every 10 years uh, or $10,000 consistently each year is substantial. And so playing that long game and consistently um, uh, saving a, a reasonable uh, but conservative amount each year and, and contributing that towards uh, an investment strategy is incredibly powerful. You know, the ability to predictably and reliably contribute that regular amount allows you then to um, spread your timing risk, you know, invest in markets over time, uh, adopt a gearing strategy and, and those sorts of things. And I've spoken before previously, and there's a link in the show notes of a video or web, web um, webinar I did uh, more recently, where I talk about how do you get control over your cash flow without needing to sort of manage every dollar and cent, um, but still have a, a good prog- process. So I've got that in the show notes, a link to that in the show notes and so forth. Uh, so there you go. That's what I wanted to talk about today, which is really it's the length of the return rather than the size that matters. And uh, that's just a mathematical fact. Uh, and so therefore, you must absolutely stick to an approach, adopt and stick to an approach 
that um, that in my view is evidence-based that demonstrates that if I'm going to invest in this way for 30 years, if I'm going to adopt and um, hold on to this invest and persist with this investment strategy, you certainly want to know that you're not wasting 30 years by doing so. Uh, and so therefore, employing those rule ba- rules-based approaches and um, but most importantly ignoring all the short short-term news is absolutely critical to building wealth uh, easily said than done uh, because and the evidence is there because you know a lot of people the vast majority of people don't uh, nearly uh, achieve or, or success, successfully build as much wealth as they possibly could uh, and the reason for that is they're too reactive to all that uh, short-term noise and they don't adopt a fundamentally sound investment methodology and play that long game. Okay, a bit of a longer one this week, so apologies for that. Uh, And until next week, bye for now.